Mic check, mic check. Where the f is my check? You now tuned in to do rags and boat shoes. get this turned down what's going on everybody it's your boy a double and you're now tuned in to episode 159 of do rags and boat shoes um sorry for the wait just been busy uh working on some outside projects and uh being at the the plantation you know 60 hours a week and you know when i'm coming home working on other things and uh, if i sound a little funny i apologize for that also um yesterday uh yesterday afternoon i just had some surgery um, getting uh, uh, my last wisdom tooth removed but the wisdom tooth is it was real close to there's a main nerve in your jawline or whatever that um, pretty much uh, you know controls all the sensations in your face so on the left side of my face uh, so there's like a huge nerve in your jawline right so I got this uh, it's uh, an impacted wisdom tooth but the tricky thing about this so it wasn't a regular you know um, wisdom tooth so it was a wisdom tooth but it had two heads right so you had the root you know the, the four prongs or whatever but the head it was two of them and uh, one head was growing real close to that nerve and so I had to have some oral surgery to get that pulled out um but i am back i'm here i'm rocking with y'all i got some stitches in my mouth uh, mouth still bleeding but i'm here and uh because it's been a couple weeks since i talked to y'all and i know y'all have been like yo where the fuck you at and why you bullshitting so i'm here but a special shout out to my uh oral surgeon though um <clears throat> excuse me uh at the premier um oral and maxifacial surgery all right it's a uh, african brother down there who's uh running his own clinic down there in um in uh papillion it's deep in papillion i don't know why the hell he way out there but his business is always booming he did an excellent job and uh you know his uh dental assistants they were real cool and um yeah just very kind a good staff so if y'all need some oral surgery you know have some work done on your face on your teeth and shit like that y'all need to go see that brother but my regular dentist is a brother named dr jones and uh, dr jones was like yeah you're gonna need some surgery to get this tooth removed so uh yeah he recommended this uh this uh african brother down in papillion so uh that was dope just seeing them kind of you know keep it you know uh keep it you know keep it in the community so to speak um but let's go ahead and uh Oh, I'm going to be on vacation uh, next week. Um, so I'll be in the Napa Valley with the wife. Um, it's kind of like our anniversary, wedding anniversary gift to each other. Um, you know, I said this year, my New Year's resolution was to have more experiences instead of buying gifts uh, with her. That was my New Year's resolution. And so here we are about to head to Napa Valley and we ain't flying out there uh we actually had this on our bucket list was to actually take a train somewhere so we're gonna take um Amtrak out to um California out to Napa Valley and then um you actually got a sleeper car so I'll let y'all know how that goes when I get back um next week so I'm excited about that only thing I'm not excited about is we're only gonna be in Napa for four days um but I took a whole week off because it takes 40 hours by train to get to uh, uh, to get to California to get to Napa Valley. So that's going to be tough. But I got plenty of books and I got this project I'm working on. So that's a lot of time of me working on that. And uh, I'll probably download maybe a couple movies or something like that. But that's an experience in itself, you know, riding on a train, you know, across country. You know, that's what's crazy. So, yeah, we're going to be on that train almost three days. 
so <laughs> y'all say a prayer <laughs> uh, for me hopefully ain't no crazies on there and i think i talked about this on a podcast before like uh in the first season like in one of the early episodes there was like some kind of terror attack um on one of the uh, am tracks that was coming out of nebraska so um y'all just keep me in your thoughts and prayers you know wish us some safe travel so i can come back and keep blessing y'all with some good game and entertaining y'all on this wonderful podcast that we call do racks and boat shoes so thank y'all again for being patient with me um i got a couple of messages on the facebook uh do rags and boat shoes page and make sure y'all like that do rags and boat shoes on uh facebook uh it'll see you'll see a little black homer simpson rocking a do rags and boat shoes t-shirt and uh i'm still working that's one of the side projects that i'm working on is designing some some uh, t-shirts and uh actually some clothing so i really want to turn a lot of these logos into like a clothing brand and just try to you know expand this brand and um you know generate some revenue so i can actually start you know filming this pod- podcast and uh bringing guests on too um i would actually love to you know actually start filming a lot of these interviews and things like that but i got a bunch of things in the works but that's all i've been doing is just you know working different projects on the side but it'll be some it'll be some uh some merchandise for y'all coming pretty soon but let's go ahead and get started on that good old summer damn jam screen so this happened at the end of june hopefully everybody had a good uh july the 4th i know a lot of folks don't celebrate it but if you off uh hopefully y'all spent times with y'all families you know grilling out bullshitting and shooting the shit it's always a good time to hang out with your family and your people in the summer while you know your uncle get busy on the grill and shit like that you know but Okay, going on to the Summer Jam screen, uh, there was an incident that happened, um, it's it's been making its way back into the news with a St. Louis police officer who was suing over getting shot by another cop, uh, by a white cop uh, while off duty. So Milton Green was the uh, brother who got shot by uh, white officer Christopher Tanner. This was back in 2017, but it's making waves because he's filed a lawsuit. Now, um the brother milton green was off duty so police were in pursuit of some suspects and the so-called suspects crashed near green's home uh the brother's home while he was outside with his neighbor working on a car and green told the suspects to freeze and uh you know he showed his pistol and his badge because he had it on him even though he was off duty so other officers arrived on the scene and told green to lower his weapon and approach the detective that recognized green so when uh so there was a detective that saw green and knew and recognized him so once green was walking towards the detective officer tanner just shot green just shot him you know so now he is permanently disabled and he said that the police department failed to back him up or show support after he was shot now that's fucked up but and uh what's even more fucked up is his pension claims haven't been resolved and the lawsuit even says that the st louis police association raised money for tanner but not green so y'all tell me so much uh how that blue wall of protection works out for your black ass so this brother was trying to help his fellow uh uh blue blue lives okay even though it's a fucking career he was trying to help them out by stopping some uh some uh i think it was carjacking suspects or whatever and um you know so he's like telling them to freeze and stop and shit like that and then the other officers like hey put your gun down blah 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 this man had his badge on him a detective recognized him and he's walking towards the detective with his weapon lowered and uh fucking tanner shot him you know how fucked up that is and then what even stings more uh for this uh for this milton green's black ass is that the police association raised money for tanner while he was on suspension but not for green for being shot and permanently injured he can't even get back on the job that is fucked up and i know some brothers uh who i grew up with who are officers now and i just you know i don't kick it with them or nothing like that but i just wonder um what kind of bullshit do they do they be dealing with because i know a few of them went to the military so i know they had that in their system you know going to the military to try to go to college and you know make a career and then they just kind of fall in love with you know that that enforcement you know energy and shit like that so they come home and they become you know uh, law enforcement officers and shit like that but i just i just kind of wonder 
you know, the bullshit that they face. I should hit them up and, you know, start asking them, like, hey, do you ever deal with, you know, racism on the job and shit like that? I think I might do that. Um, I know I had to delete one nigga off my page, though, and he's a very popular officer here. And uh, because I remember when that Ferguson shit first kicked off, uh, he was trying to defend Darren Wilson. And I was like, oh, no, sir. No, sir. And I just went ahead and deleted them off. I think that nigga done sent me probably about four friend requests since then because I just keep deleting them. Um, but now I just got one sitting in there and I'm just let it cook. But um, yeah, so I just wonder what black men and women be going through um, on the force. And, uh, you know, because I know a lot of times, man, I told y'all this before. Uh, growing up, I used to catch hell from the black officers more than the white ones because they had they had something to prove that they were part of that blue wall of silence you know they had to prove that they were more anti-black than the than the, than the white cops out there so that's why i really don't i don't have no sympathy for a lot of black cops out here i know a lot of them try to do the right thing and all this other shit but you know it's just from my experiences with black cops fuck out of here that's how I feel about that. But tell me what's going on with this uh, Renee Bach lady. Now, this is the woman uh, over there in Uganda that had that um, that uh, serving his children organization. This is that white woman who was thought she was Jesus. Uh, she was an American missionary. And I told you all about the missionaries. If you um, go back and look at history, there's a great uh, book called White Women's Rights. And it talks about, you know, white female supremacy or the, uh, the white woman's role in white supremacy. And a lot of times, uh, instead of sending the men to go dominate a, you know, a non-white uh, area, they will send uh, the women over there to uh, be, be like missionaries and to preach white Jesus and uh, give them the Bible and shit like that. And then once that happened, uh, you know, them white men would come and then naturally... You know, the non-whites, you know, being beaten ahead with that religion of a racism, white supremacy uh, disguised as Christianity would naturally look as the white man as uh, a god. You know what I'm saying? So they wouldn't have to face any kind of resistance like that. So she was an American missionary and uh, she had a nonprofit called Serving His Children. His is in Christ. Um, and there's a civil lawsuit being filed against her in Uganda for uh, operating a medical facility without a license. Now they're saying that there's been hundreds of kids uh, that were uh, died under her care because she was pretending to be, you know, like a doctor or some shit like that, running around with a white coat on and a stethoscope and shit like that. And what's interesting is, um, you know, if you look at the allegations, um, let me see here. Let me pull this up. Um, let me see here. All right, there is a brother. Okay, there's a guy. Um, uh, okay, I found it. I found it. Here it is. Sorry about that. Um, so there was a driver who worked for serving his children, a guy named Charles Owen Olawini or Owenye. Um, I don't know how I pronounce that. O L W E N Y. He worked there for eight years, and then he said every week he would drive at least seven to ten bodies of children back to their villages each week and then he stated that he would offer them offer the parents fifty thousand uganda shillings a small coffin and a bag of maize meal to each family as a form of condolence uh in his uh, sworn testimony and um that's crazy and then uh let me see here then so they had a. Uh, Let's see here. Somebody was talking about uh, that the testimony was inaccurate. You know, I think the defense attorney. But they were saying that in the 10 years that uh, serving his children has been operating. This is the defense talk. And they said about 3,600 uh, 3, children have been successfully treated and only only 105 have died. And um, they talk about they had medical professionals on uh, hand and all this other shit. But. You know, they have pictures of her wearing gloves um, and uh, working on children. They have videos, promotional videos of her walking around and using a, a stethoscope on kids. Um, 
and they talking about that it's only ethically horrid um but the thing is so many of them kids died even if it is true 105 that's too many that's too fucking many that died so you go over there with your white savior complex and you out here just playing doctor playing real life doctor you know what i'm saying and if you look at some of these interviews this woman just don't give two fucks about anything and i don't even think it should be a civil lawsuit it should be a criminal trial and um they were talking about that that renee woman has had a lot of medical training uh whether it's cpr training or placement of ivs but she has never but she was never a licensed medical doctor or nurse so she would assist when that would be helpful um but it's 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 crazy it's crazy and the website is actually still up to serving as children uh website but that's just man that's just that's how that man that white savior complex works in collaboration with what the image that we see of christ and how you know a lot of these folks come over preaching christian and christianity to um so-called savages and shit like that so they give them an image of white jesus indoctrinate their indoctrinate them you know control their mind and then all of a sudden you got them running around here practicing on these little black bodies and it's just disgusting um but i'll keep my eye on this um just to see you know if they will bring up criminal charges but i think she's back here in the states now and uh serving his children is uh is done with um so yeah she's back over here in the states just kind of hiding out and kind of kick back and relax which is fucking crazy and then did y'all see this bullshit that hawaiian man the asian cat over there in uh hawaii mark char uh, over there in oahu that's where i went for my honeymoon too oahu is cool as fuck too um the island of oahu that's where um waikiki beaches and everything very very i love the people over there very laid back except for when i went to the bakery and i didn't take a ticket and uh the woman gonna look at her uh co-worker and start speaking that uh hawaiian shit and i was like all right all right i get it i didn't take a number she was like oh no i didn't say nothing i was like yeah you were saying something slick and uh <laughs> i don't think my wife caught me saying that though because <laughs> i was just like all right yeah i'm sorry i didn't catch your number and i said i know you're saying something slick and she's like oh no sorry i she said some bullshit ass excuse but you know how people be doing if they got a native language and they want to say something slick but anyways that was only bad experience there but you know that's just something you just nip in the bud but anyways um this man mark char was sentenced to life in prison uh with the possibly possibility of parole uh for second degree attempted murder um and then he also was uh had plus six years uh for the convictions of second and third degree assault now this guy had a road rage accident and he was like running some guys off the road then he stabbed one dude up and shit like that like it was all i think some of it was caught on a uh, camera too and uh here's the crazy part though in the hearing or uh he showed up and he painted his whole face black just went in there in blackface this asian man went in there in blackface and uh what 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 was the justification he, oh he said um he said in essence treating me like a black man today the reason why i'm like this is because i prepared myself to play my part in your kangaroo court treating me like a black man so today i'm going to be a black man it's always fascinating when uh you see shit like this um and then on the flip side as you uh look at us um black americans you know bringing the case for reparations up front every group every single group from white brown red yellow know that we deserve uh reparations and equity to level the playing field and how unjustly we are treated in this country i mean this is just a prime example but when you bring up the case for reparations everybody starts playing dumb well, I don't know. Well, you know, you had a black president. Well, I, I, I didn't have any slaves. I didn't, I, I didn't discriminate against anybody. I don't want my taxes being raised and blah blah blah. And you know how much money, how many, how much of your fucking taxes goes to defense spending and other bullshit? The government just takes it. You know what I'm saying? But 
this man just painting himself black and going in court talking about you're going to treat me like a black man like I feel like this should just be thrown in the case for reparations it's just like look at this silly motherfucker even though he's mocking black folks he knows how unjustly black people are treated in this goddamn country specifically in the justice system right it, it is so funny to me that people will acknowledge how black folks are mistreated but nobody wants to uh you know take steps to um reverse the symptoms of everything from black code slavery jim crow redlining um unfair housing practices and um you know uh police brutality um to the 94 crime bill N none of that shit you know what i'm saying it's just like oh just keep taking it like i acknowledge your pain but eh fuck you you know what i'm saying but that's that's this just the craziest shit man just crazy that was instantly what i thought of when i seen this goofball ass uh asian cat sitting in court with his with all that black marker on his goddamn face and then i think they're gonna tack on some more charges for um they're gonna chart tack on some more charges for him because uh the um the officers or the um the bailiffs or whatever they were telling him no you can't go in the court like that you have to wash off your face and shit like that but he didn't so they probably gonna tack on a few more months or whatever already to his life sentence so that is that's that was the instantly though what i thought of i was just off rip i was just like oh okay yeah everybody knows black folks going through some shit everybody knows it everybody but don't nobody give a fuck um let's see what else we can talk about here on that good old summer damn jam screen um let's see here oh man this is sad right here um the case of uh elijah alamine um this was a the 17 year old kid who was uh murdered in cold blood by um michael paul adams okay now this white man said that he felt unsafe uh, because uh, the young man Elijah pulled up to the store playing some rap music, hip-hop, playing some rap music. And so he basically followed the brother into the store, followed the young boy into the store, and stabbed him and slit his throat because he was playing some music. And he even admitted to authorities that he didn't feel threatened by uh, Elijah at all, but he was threatened by the music. And so now, with this white supremacist terrorist attack, this white terrorist attack, um, they are trying to pin it on him being uh, mentally incompetent, being mentally ill. You know how they play that role, because they never want to bring a uh, white terror suspect. They don't, they don't want to, if you admit racism, white supremacy, if you admit that, then you have to do something about it. That's just what it boils down to in the system of racism, white supremacy. Whenever it's losing, it always morphs into something else. It always morphs, cheats, um, adds another group to the uh, majority to stay ahead. That's what it always does. And just like I said, just with um, when we're creeping up on 2040, when they're not going to be the majority, we're going to see something. We're going to see something, either a mass immigration, a mass migration of a, a mass, I should say mass immigration from some white country, uh, some European country. We'll see that or uh, they'll start accepting uh, either mulattoes or uh, white Hispanics will be officially treated as um, uh, whites in America. Is that that's what'll happen that's it so either we'll uh see a mass uh immigrant mass migration of whites coming over from european countries to get the numbers up or uh hispanics will be treated as white people honorary white people just like what they did with the italians and the uh, irish okay so that's what we'll see what what'll happen and uh maybe even mulattoes too because they were talking about just how the average american by i don't know the next 40 years uh will look like a mulatto you know just in tan skin you know kinky hair um maybe some freckles um so 
that's that's what we'll see it'll morph into something or it could turn into an apartheid state that's what could happen you'll see a or you'll see a, a great migration of uh white flight into certain states and start building some white utopias that's what i believe but back to this case this this uh this unfortunate murder uh terrorist attack on elijah um so they're basically trying to say it's uh he's being held on a million dollar bond uh and they're saying that uh his her jc uh cotrell she is uh the terror suspect adam's lawyer and uh she said that her client was set up for failure and she questions whether he was given access to mental health resources after he was released from prison okay so he was in uh he had just been released from the arizona state prison uh two days before he killed elijah ain't that some bullshit right um and the lawyer even admits he was given resources but he wasn't given means to get to those resources hmm and then uh, Bill uh, Lamoureux is a spokesman uh, for the Arizona Department of Corrections, and he said in a statement that Adams was not designated seriously mental, mentally ill when he was in prison. So he wasn't pulling that crazy shit then. So he got out two days later. was like, let me kill a black person. And that's all it was. That's all it was. That's all it was. So you just add this to the long list of what... Um, you know black teens can't do black children can't do can't play with a toy gun can't wear a hoodie um can't listen to rap music in this case with elijah and jordan davis um you can't stand outside of a store you just can't exist um and so that's why you really have to keep your head on a swivel um you know and just always be aware of your surroundings that's what i would have to tell the the youth um, always be aware of your surroundings always because this was just an ambush like you just going into the store and somebody just run up on you stab you and then start slicing your throat all because of the music you was listening to and if they don't bring up any hate crime charges it that's just showing and admitting that you know that they don't want to admit to the system of racism white supremacy that's just the system working as a well-oiled machine as it always has been but rest in peace to that young man elijah and um man that's tough that was tough to hear about that um let's see what else man i really just took took the air up out my sails you know but um let's see what else um let's talk about some north omaha history um there's a blog I mean, a podcast is called uh, North Omaha History, and it's actually a pretty good, um, pretty good uh, podcast. And it basically breaks down the history of North Omaha and um, North Omaha for my listeners is out of state. And shout out to um, the East Coast for fucking with me tough. I, I fuck with y'all. Thank you. Thank you so much. A lot of people in Virginia, uh, New York. Um, let me see what else. Uh, the Carolinas fuck with the show so thank you and uh continue to keep telling your people and keep telling your friends and shit like that to peep game and uh just listen uh to the podcast so i, I fuck with y'all thank you so much and uh it's wild because uh, my own city is like looking when i'm looking at the uh the analytics and stuff like that my own city is like fifth or sixth to be fucking with the show but it's all love you know your, your own people don't support you until strangers do you know what i'm saying but um, this North uh, North Omaha is pretty much where all the black folks are at uh, here in the city. So I always call it down north. Most folks, you know, they'd be like, man, I'm about to head down north right now. Just because it means the northeast part of the city. It's on the east side of the city. The numbers in, in Omaha, you know, they go lower. You know what I'm saying? And then if you go west, the numbers are higher. You see what I'm saying? So when you're saying you're going down north, you're just heading to the northeast side of the city. That's all it is. All right. But uh, they talked about the um, the Plum Nelly neighborhood, and that was um, the area of like uh, Bedford Ave, like where I grew up at. I didn't, you know, I heard people call it Plum Nelly, but I never really, you know, knew what it was about. So it was around like 39th and Bedford Ave, gang gang, uh, you know, to like uh, uh, 38th and uh, what is that? 
Give me just a second here. Let me pull it up. So it was just um, it was about 36th and Bedford Streets, and um, it was uh, man, it was just the whole area where I grew up. So you got like um, Bedford to like Miami, yeah, close to the Miami Street, cause that's where I grew up at. Uh, my stomping grounds was uh, from Miami to Ames Avenue, and it was just all Crip territory. That's that's just what it was. You know, you had the you had the Ave over there, Fortieth Ave, and shit like that. Um, that was kind of tough growing up, you know, in that area. I remember. I don't know if I told y'all this story, but um, when I was in seventh or eighth grade, uh, so eighth grade, yeah, the Bulls were really hot, and uh, the Team Jumpman's just came out, and I had the and I was a huge Bulls fan, and at the time I was a David Robinson fan, but I was a huge Bulls fan. Like every kid in the '90s was a huge Bulls fan. Like late '80s, uh, all the way through the '90s, you was a Bulls fan. If you, every kid was. I don't care who you was, you know. Um, it was like Bulls and Lakers, and then you had some people that was like Charlotte's fans, but mainly in the Midwest, you was just Bulls fan out, right? And so I had a pair of them red and black uh, Jumpman, team team Jumpman. So um, they were like, they were mainly black with like red accents and uh, like a white sole. And I swear to God, every day I, I, and I was like, fuck it. I knew I was going to get my ass whooped for wearing that. But I was like, I'm riding with Jordan. I was like, fuck these Crip niggas. <laughs> That's how it was. And I even had a red and black coat too. So that whole year, soon as I got off the bus, I would run straight home from the bus stop so I wouldn't get my ass whooped or shot. Just, man, I seen a nigga get his ass whooped uh, that summer for having some red shoestrings in his shoes. So I was just like, that was the summer before eighth grade. And I was just like, and, and my mom was like, yeah, you want these? And I was like, yup. And then she was like, okay. Because she, she knew what was up. She's like, you, you know that color and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'm getting these. I'm, I'm that was me becoming a man that summer out that 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 school year i was like fuck that but yeah every bam just ran home ran home ran home and uh <laughs> i did i didn't get caught there was a couple times when uh you know i would get off the bus and somebody uh car ride by what the fuck you doing slob and you know that was a, a slur for bloods and shit and then me just boom just pumping my arms running home every fucking day but i fucking rocked them shoes until i got a hole in them bitches you know what i'm saying <laughs> but anyway uh so they called that area plum nelly right and so uh north omaha history did some uh did some research just kind of talking to people like the older folks who grew up there and i'm gonna read this for y'all so we're gonna end the summer jam screen on a light note all right so this is around between miami street and bedford between like 35th and like 40th all right so um it says for five years i've been seeking info about plum nelly a lost uh, neighborhood in north omaha my scan has revealed the following starting with the map above um, plum nelly was an informal neighborhood with unfixed boundaries located near 36th and bedford streets that was uh, established in the 1880s Apparently, African-Americans who couldn't afford established housing or didn't want to live in the segregated black neighborhood uh, moved there. Plum Nelly houses were mostly small shacks tucked into the forest that didn't have running water or electricity. You see here, white people seemed afraid of Plum Nelly, and it wasn't spoken of highly by other African-Americans in the black newspapers. Uh, kids who lived in Plum Nelly, who went to school, attended Howard Kennedy Elementary, and regarded and were regarded as rowdy and a bit wild. Uh, neighborhood stories uh, suggest they may have been people still living in Plum Nelly in the 1980s. Uh, today, there is still a section of forest west of Adams Park that I figured probably held several homes. Oh, and Plum Nelly, this is what's dope to me because I didn't know why they call it Plum Nelly. But Plum Nelly mean Plum Nearly in reference to its location uh, in, in relationship to the city, as in those houses were Plum out in the sticks, uh, Nelly in the country. So nearly in the country. So it's damn near in the country. And what's funny is uh, we used to hoop at Adams Park. That's what kept me out of that gang lifestyle was um, basketball and um, Adams Park. Uh, there's a uh, 
there's a center up there, a uh, rec center, and we used to go there and hoop, but you have to go through these woods. There's a bunch of woods there, and uh, you will see like homeless people in there in them woods and stuff, and then like older kids being there fucking and stuff like that. They have like a blanket laid out and shit like that, but you could see, um, like you knew that there was some old shacks in that area and stuff like that but they gutted out a lot of that um wooded area and now it's like gabrielle union park now um up there or whatever but adam center is still there and there's still like some woods there but that whole area like it was just man like i remember growing up you see like big ass rabbits foxes in those woods and then i lived on a dead end street off of work and then like the last house on the block was like right by some woods like behind the school there's a bunch of woods and stuff and if you would walk through there you could still see like old pathways and stuff like that so i thought that was pretty dope um that they're doing some uh some uh history about that and um and they're looking for more people to talk about this because um they wanted to interview and go to some of them churches like Hope Lutheran, uh, Sharon SDA, Salem Baptist, um, Antioch uh, Kajik, and then uh, King Solomon. Um, so, you know, uh, I thought that was pretty dope. And um, so they're still going to do some research on that because I, I know people will call it Plum Nelly sometimes, like the older folks growing up. And I'd be like, what the fuck you talking about? But back in the days, back in the 1880s, it was like pretty much a wooded area and there was just nothing but shacks and that's where the poor black folks stayed at and the other black folks had their nose turned down at it and you know it is what it is you know ain't nothing too new like what we see going on right now so but uh shout out to north omaha history though and it's a podcast too which is pretty dope but i'm gonna leave it to my man hove hove what you gotta say don't be the next contestant on that summer jam screen i smoke rocks all right thank you so much tyrone biggums for that lovely intro of selling hope like dope and i missed you bro uh, i see you still out here doing your thing you still out here with the ready rock and you still doing it and i appreciate you doing this intro all the time for me and i left the three dollars by the back door it's next to some dog shit but i know you gets busy all right so moving on to selling hope like dope uh we have to give it to uh the fake outrage over um the uh the nike air max ones uh the, with the betsy ross flag on it i don't even know why i'm even talking about this because i thought the uh anti-kaepernick gang the um the uh twitter avi of uh caucasian folks of uh, white supremacists who just wear shades i thought they banned nike and they were wearing everything else and that's what i'm trying to figure out that's what uh, makes it tough uh, for me to do this segment because I swore y'all was done with Nike once uh, they released them Kaepernick commercials, but I just, I don't know, maybe it was a slow day in your life or something and you just needed something to be mad about. And then Ted Cruz uh, brought his uh, goofy looking ass out talking about nike's anti-american and shit like that but if you've been living under a rock it was pretty much nike was about to drop these uh july the 4th air max ones uh and on the back was the betsy ross flag and cap was like you know he came to him and was like no i don't think y'all should do that because uh this flag was flown you know during times when uh you know the ancestors were enslaved and so nike was like okay we'll pull it and um it's also a flag if you ever look at uh white supremacist rallies they'll have that flag flown with them at times they will they'll have that flag with the uh 13 stars in a circle um and also um with that flag um like it's a i know the adl says it's not a white supremacist symbol but a lot of times them people will be flying a Nazi flag and an American flag right then and there. Um, but Nike, I believe, used that flag because uh, it would have been harder to try to stitch the regular American flag on there, you know, with the 50 stars or whatever. So, I mean, it is what it is. And then I saw something where a Marine got the Betsy Ross tattooed on his bicep to, I'm going to show Nike. You know, it's one of those things where it's just like, 
Nike don't give a fuck. Like the, uh, I think they generated about two billion dollars and uh, grossed about two billion dollars after, you know, those shoes were banned or whatever, and that Kaepernick news came out. It, I mean, Nike really knows how to cash in on a controversy. So, I mean, as long as the fake outrage keep coming on, um, people gonna, you know, white folks gonna flip out and black folks gonna keep buying the sneakers and shit like that. But I think Nike knows where they're. Uh, their, their bread is buttered at, you know, mainly black folks be buying sneakers left and right, um, you know, from the, the bougiest of Negroes uh, down to the, you know, the trap god of the Midwest, you know what I'm saying, it's just, you know, we love Jordans, um, you know, love Dunks, SBs, um, goddamn Air Force Ones, shit, you know, everything, everything Nike, Air Maxes, I mean, you name it, we rocking the track suits, we rocking everything. So, I mean, it is what it is. Um, it was just fascinating to me to see so many uh, white folks still, you know, being angry at Nike for siding with uh, Colin Kaepernick. And I would like to do a Twitter poll, and I probably will do it on Durags and Post Shoes. I want to know which athlete, which footballer um, do white folks hate the most? Is it Colin Kaepernick or OJ? You know, it'd be crazy if Nike did a commercial with Colin Kaepernick and OJ, that would just, <laughs> that would, that I think a lot of people's heads would explode like that, uh, that skit on the Chappelle show with, um, uh, Clayton Bixby when he revealed who he was, when he took that clan hood off and they saw that he was, he was black and that guy just started shaking his head and his head exploded. I think we would literally see that. You would see some white folks having aneurysms out here with some white supremacists. That'd be funny as fuck if they did a commercial with OJ. And Colin Kaepernick, I, I, I would, I would, I would pay to see that. I'll put up my house to see some shit like that. But I thought, you know, a lot of these folks put up their goddamn uh, burnt. They were burning their Nikes and shit like that. I thought y'all stopped. Like, why are y'all still trying to beef with Nike and Colin Kaepernick? That's why I got this as selling hope like dope. I mean, you just want to channel this racist ass <laughs> energy into something. It just consumes so many white supremacists that they just have they need an outlet so i b believe they just be combing the internet just be looking for shit just like oh my god it's anti-american anti-american means anti-white you know y'all just just bullshit and just selling hope like dope that's all it is just you know and these politicians talking about nike is anti-american and all this other shit and and y'all you politicians are anti-black so get the fuck out of here but that's been selling hope like damn dope this portion of Do Rags and Boat Shoes has been brought to you by the letter L, as in, hey, yo, my guy, my hands are full. Give me a hand here. Can you hold this L? All right, so moving on to holding this L, we have to give it to uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Uh, remember, I think I talked about it on the last episode from a couple weeks back uh, when the Ninja Turtle was talking greasy about um, descendants of slaves getting reparations and he's talking about they fought a civil war for that. Um, we had an African-American president. Uh, they had the civil rights bill and all this other shit. And he was talking about he had nothing to do with it. Uh, you know, what's fascinating. NBC News actually just ran a story couple days ago and they uh dug into mitch mcconnell's past and uh both of his great great grandfathers uh owned slaves hmm and showing that he actually benefited from it the whole article talks about this and it uh says that most of them slaves actually got a chance they they ran away but they pulled a census uh from the 1860 census and it had uh, both of his grandfathers listed, and they had a bunch of quote-unquote mulatto slaves, right? And um, yeah, I just found that very fascinating how he was just out here talking greasy. And I'm sorry if I'm talking with a lisp because I, you know, I still got these stitches in my mouth. But I just found it fascinating that he was just talking that old, oh, you know, I that whole. Um, you know it, that was over a hundred years ago and all this other shit and it doesn't have an impact on today and all this other nonsense and just hmm just very fascinating very fascinating uh especially because uh there was few people uh white folks who were slaveholders the rest of them you know worked in the industry 
as like overseers and shit like that and um yeah but this is somebody who came from slave holding men that is just wild to me and i i get tired of people using this reparations argument and um well speaking about reparations and using the slavery argument it's not just about slavery it's about everything that came after the black codes the convict leasing redlining um even up to the goddamn 94 crime bill there's just so much hell that black folks have caught since they was brought up on them shores in the 1600s more specifically what was it 1619 like man it's just disgusting i'm sorry for that pause but you just think about it like we've been catching hell since we was brought up on them shores man it is tough but um yeah this whole uh and i just want to know um you know stand on this 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 case and this course for reparations it's fascinating to me that you know these democratic candidates uh not to you know stray away from uh the ninja turtle senator uh senate majority leader um mcconnell the thing is it's it's crazy because the democratic candidate started out by saying oh no i'm not doing shit for black folks and that that kind that hurt all of them and then they first they started calling black folks black american voters um they started calling us russian bots when people were just like, okay, we'll bring the issue of reparations up because it's time for black folks to circle our wagons. We are catching all kind of hell here in the States uh, from every other group. And we're on the bottom. We're on the bottom. And all we do is fight for this country and fight for other groups. So now it's like, okay, well, we need to start fighting for ourselves. And it's time to, you know, pay up. And it's time for america to right the wrongs of its original sin right and so then they started calling us russian bots and then when it was just like that didn't go away nobody bought into that shit because it's just real people and black folks just like yo we're just fed the fuck up and then they just tried to ignore it for a little bit and then they started going on talking about class issues socialism and shit like that or, or they would come around like uh, Kamala Harris uh, was talking about uh, how she used to smoke weed and listen to uh, rap music. I'm just like, that's fucked up. You know how fucked up that is to come on an urban, uh, a black radio show like The Breakfast Club and you go on here slumming it, talking about you smoke weed and listen to rap music. That's all you got for black folks. You know how fucked up that is when you're asked about, you know, are you going to do anything specifically for black folks, but you can go out here and do something specifically for immigrants and for the LGBTQIA folks. That is a specific group of people. But why is it? It's just like everybody's twiddling their thumbs, don't know what is what when it comes to black folks, right? So now you know black men and women are on the same page black male voters and black female voters are on the same page it's like you know what this is right right so now there there's this uh these democratic pundits or uh these uh these black folks that support the democratic party these talking heads they're going out of their way to talk about black men so they're now they're trying to divide by gender right so now they're talking about black women are the most important voting base for the democratic party when in actuality is actually just black people black men and women but here's the thing they're talking about because i believe back in the election it was like 87 percent of black men voted democratically and then uh it was in the 90s for black women so that is just a it's just a single digit um by percentage and so now they're saying that it's just important just to get the black female vote so now you see a lot of pandering towards black women you have these black talking heads out here who are on like cnbc talking greasy about black men talking about they don't like kamala harris because um her husband is white 
that's not it at all she said to the root in that interview that she's no she's not going to do anything specific for black folks when she went on the breakfast club she laughed it off and then she talked about how she smoked weed and listened to rap music in college and not to mention her anti-black policies as a as a um working in the the justice field right under prosecution right under those um those truancy laws that have uh, impacted black women the most right there's a story about a sister who had a her daughter was sick and she kept her home and then the cops came ran up in the home and arrested the sister the, the mother and the daughter was dealing with something i think it was lupus or something like that and she kept her home for a few days right and um not to mention how harsh she was on uh, black folks for marijuana crimes and shit like that out in california so it's not it has nothing to do with her um who her partner is it's, it's that that her prosecution uh record um and then her just coming out flat out saying i ain't doing shit for black folks right but now we're seeing all these candidates these democratic candidates they're just pandering to black women now it's just like okay fuck the black male voters and i seen some kind of tweet where uh they're talking about bob johnson is uh you know leaving the democratic party or some shit like that because it's becoming too left and uh some negro uh with a lot of followers tweeted out that older black men are gonna lean towards the republican party and black women are the future or some shit like they're just pandering and ladies y'all gotta watch niggas like that watch overly um pandering ass niggas because them them be the rapiest niggas out there the ones that's just be like, oh, you're just such a queen and I worship the ground you walk on. You know, niggas who be tweeting shit like that and posting that on Facebook. As soon as that nigga get one-on-one with you and you reject him, that nigga has got his hands on his show on your shoulders and slamming you up against the wall and trying to take that pussy up out of you. Them niggas is rapey as fuck. It's just like the nigga from Players Club. Uh, what was that nigga's name with the glasses? I forgot his name. Was it Melvin or some shit like that? It might have not been Melvin, but... And he followed old girl home, followed Lisa Ray home and shit and he thought he's gonna get that pussy and he was just like you know i protect you and all this other shit and flipping out that's how them niggas is in real life them niggas is some creeps on the low you know what i'm saying they they, they're the good guy creeps that's what i would say them niggas is scrolls out here you know this niggas is (laughs) and the scroll is just something from the marvel comic books it's a alien that can just you know transform into you know a shapeshifter that's all that is but that's the that's the that's the blurred in me but just going back to this uh what we're seeing in the democratic party is just a lot of it's going to be division it's going to be pandering to black women it's going to be like black men ain't shit and then what happens when you alienate that group of black men is black male voters ain't going to turn out and then we'll have four more years of trump and then it's going to be like i told y'all black men didn't didn't want to blah 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 and that's all it is it's going to be think pieces misand- misandry up and down your social media and just anti-black male this that and the third but and this is all a divisive tactic it is to um keep black folks with this bullshit infighting and also just keep us where we're at that's that's where it is uh no equity no reparations things like that but we have to keep talking about it bringing it to the forefront and like i talked about episode a couple weeks ago that hr 40 hearing um you know studying reparations they didn't have anybody up there like a dr claude anderson to actually uh, shell out real numbers and uh, talk about the uh cause and the impact of slavery on um black americans and the impact of uh jim crow segregation redlining uh the gi bill homestead act just everything that excluded the majority of black americans and to keep us in these horrible conditions right and um so that's how you know it was a joke all the way through but uh going back to mitch mcconnell uh, that that was just amazing to me and kudos to nbc news 
for uh, digging into his lineage. He don't talk about that in his book at all. He just talks about how his ancestors came over in the 1700s and all this other shit. And uh, yeah, came over and became some goddamn slave owners. That's what happened. But you know, they came over here and rolled their sleeves up and worked hard and all this other shit. Great great grandfathers had fucking slaves doing the work for them. And uh, I'm, I'm happy that them them half black half white slaves were able to run run out get the fuck out and get and you know go to their freedom because that's what it said in these uh in the census that most of them ran away when they got the chance to um but mitch mcconnell you fucking ninja turtle looking bastard you gotta hold this l you win perfect All right, so moving on to Not All Heroes Wear Capes, you have to give it to 20-year-old Raviante Harris of Omaha, Nebraska. He um, actually convinced a woman who was suicidal from jumping off the Bob Carey, uh, excuse me, pedestrian bridge on a Tuesday night a couple of nights ago. Um, you know, he was uh, live streaming on Facebook, uh, you know, just walking uh, down by the bridge, bullshitting, and he saw this lady uh, who was standing on the ledge crying and people were just walking past her and shit like that and he uh you know just talked her down pulled her down and you know she hugged him and said um you know uh she saved his life you know so that's what it's all about you know um a lot of times we get so wrapped up in our own uh lives and bullshit we forgot we forget to be uh, human, you know, we just be so focused and selfish on ourselves. You know, somebody going through some shit, you see him and you like, shit, that ain't got nothing to do with me. You keep pushing, you know. And uh, this young man, uh, you know, fortunately enough, he was still pure in the heart, so he just went on and you know talked that young lady down and uh, you know stopped her from jumping and ending her life. So shout out to that brother. Not all heroes wear capes. You know, some of us, you know, just do the right thing. That's what it's all about. So we are going to move on to um, health over wealth. You know what I say. Without your health, you cannot enjoy your wealth. And I'm dropping stuff. Um, So this is going to be Tyler Perry's speech at the BET Awards. Uh, This was in the end of June. And uh, he just said some profound things and uh, reading the story about the uh, the young man, uh, Ray Viante, um, Mr. Harris, you know, saving that young woman. And Tyler Perry talks about in his speech, helping somebody cross. That's what it's all about. So I'm going to leave y'all with this speech and I will see y'all when I'm back from vacation. I might try to record on vacation if I have some downtime. Uh, you know, from being wine drunk and, you know, acting a fool with my lady. But if I don't, I'll see y'all when I immediately, immediately get back. And as always, I love y'all one. But here's Tyler Perry. Hold on, y'all. Thank you. I, uh, <laughs> I want to say a special thanks to BET, my new family. I can't wait to get started over there with our new shows. Thank you so much for this. To Scott and everybody over there, thank you so much. To Viacom, Shari, who's here, Bob, everybody. Listen, from my heart, I want to say thank you. I couldn't help but think about my mother. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. <laughs> I couldn't help but think about my mother. I remember being a kid, about five years old, she would take me into the projects with her when she played cards on Friday nights with a bunch of women. Now, these women didn't have more than a 12th grade education, but they were smart black women. They were powerful black women. They had great stories to tell. And I was a five-year-old kid sitting there on the floor playing with my matchbox cars, listening to them talk about their men, their relationships, and their pains. And when one of them would get really sad, another woman would come in and make a joke, and they'd all start laughing. I didn't know I was in a master class for my life. I would get home, and my father would be beating my mother and doing all kinds of things and saying all kinds of stuff to her, and he would leave the room, and I'd walk in, and I'd imitate one of those women, and she would start laughing. There was a power in that that I didn't really get until I got older. I remember being about 11, 12 years old on my way to my new school, and I got to this uh, intersection. I had to walk past pimps, prostitutes, walk through, literally walk through a graveyard, get to this intersection, six-lane intersection, and there was a man standing there saying, will someone help me cross? 
Will someone help me cross? And there were all of these people that kept passing by him and passing by him. I said, I'll help you cross. So he told me he was going to my school and he was going to sell candy there. That's how he made his living. So I helped him cross the street to get there. We became good friends. His name was Mr. Butler. That moment reminded me of my mother bringing her out of, laugh, out of pain into laughter to help her cross. My first 10 movies were all about her subconsciously, wanting her to know that she was worthy, wanting black women to know you're worthy, you're special, you're powerful, you're amazing. All of that was about helping across. When I started hiring people like Taraji and Viola Davis and Idris Elba, they couldn't get jobs in this town, but God blessed me to be in a position to be able to hire them. I was trying to help somebody cross. When I built my studio, I built it in a neighborhood that is one of the poorest black neighborhoods in Atlanta so that young black kids can see that a black man did that and they can do it too. I was trying to help somebody cross. The studio was once a Confederate army base, and I want you to hear this, which meant that there was Confederate soldiers on that base plotting and planning on how to keep 3.9 million Negroes enslaved. Now that land is owned by one Negro. It's all about trying to help somebody cross. While everybody was fighting for a seat at the table, talking about Oscar so white, Oscar so white, I said, y'all go ahead and do that. But while you fighting for a seat at the table, I'll be down in Atlanta building my own. Because, because what I know for sure is that if I could just build this table, God would prepare it for me in the presence of my enemies. Rather than being an icon, I want to be an inspiration. So thank you, BET, my new family. Thank you, everybody. I want you to hear this. Every dreamer in this room, there are people whose lives are tied into your dream. Own your stuff. Own your business. Own your way. God bless you. Thank you, BET. Thank you, Scott. I love you guys. Thank you. You look dusty. You look dusty. You look, you look dusty. <laughs>